Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back, and we are still reeling from what was a ridiculous three-day extended weekend, certainly AEW Rampage with CM Punk, but WWE SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 36 for the purposes of this podcast brought us directly into WWE Monday Night Raw, where Vintage Chris Vanini and I, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, were curious what WWE would do coming out of SummerSlam, and that is exactly what we are going to discuss on today's show. We have a loaded episode for you. Not only are we going to discuss everything that happened on that Raw coming out of SummerSlam, we will open the show today with WWE SummerSlam Fallout. We got so many tweets and DMs from you guys. I'm not going to be able to read all of them, uh, but I will read a significant selection of them with questions that Vintage Chris Manini and I will answer to the start of the show. We will then move into the main event and the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we will break down everything that happened Monday night on Raw. So let's not waste any time. Let's just remind you that getting over is We are all about the five. That means dropping those five-star ratings, dropping those reviews on Apple Podcasts. Not only tell people why you love the show, but give them reasons to watch themselves. The Getting Over Wrestling Podcast on Monday, I found out. I got my uh, weekly email. We were the number 24 wrestling podcast in North America. That is our highest ranking ever. It does fluctuate. Last week, we were 31. So, you know, we don't always stay in that top 25, but there is absolutely no question that it's you guys uh, listening to the show, telling people about it via word of mouth. New listeners who have joined us, if, if you're new to the show, if you've only listened to a couple episodes, welcome. Uh, you're part of the family. Hopefully you guys become getting overheads like the rest of our listeners. Um, look, it's great. We're growing. That's what it's all about. But your reviews help that massively and your five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. Also helping us following on Twitter. You can do that at Getting Overcast. We're so excruciatingly close to 1,000 followers. I want to reach that mark. I would love to do it uh, before the next pay-per-view, really extreme rules. I don't think 50 followers in a month is that crazy. So let's get there. That's the goal. So please you know, retweet, uh, like when we send out tweets about shows or just tweets about wrestling. Your engagement on social media will help us grow as well. So with that out of the way, Chris, Time to welcome you in. Look, uh, we've said it on the Instant Analysis episodes. I think I've probably complained a little bit more than you. I'm still pretty exhausted coming out of that weekend. Uh, You know, the college football season for both of us is getting started. Uh, We have week zero this week, week one next week. There's tons of news happening. I'm happy that we're still talking about wrestling. I'm certainly not complaining. Don't get me wrong. But I am thrilled to kind of start this week and have days or maybe we don't have to do podcasts, right? The, the the benefit of Raw not being all that interesting is that actually kind of allowed us to take a breather without having to react to something major happening on the show. Right, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was a great weekend. You go, you think about CM Punk's back, Becky Lynch's back, Brock Lesnar's back, Drakenhofer's Walters, the match of the year. Like, that's a hell of a weekend for wrestling, both AEW and WWE. I keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it. 
it's a great time to be a wrestling fan right now. And I know everyone's going to back into their corners and, and argue over various companies, but we, we talk about both of them. We like both of them. And uh, it's a, that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah. Different to each show to different degrees and each uh, storyline to different degrees. But yes, we do like both of them. And I want to get into this show because if we don't, I have a feeling it's going to go long. And our listeners have listened to so many hours of us talking about wrestling since Thursday. I mean, it's been an insane number of consecutive shows. So let's just kind of get into the uh, WWE SummerSlam fallout. Isn't this the money in the bank edition? No, that was last month. This is the SummerSlam fallout edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And like I said, you guys sent us so many. It was great to see the interaction, DMs and tweets throughout SummerSlam that we just couldn't have made additional time to talk about them on the instant analysis. So I'm going to run through some of them here. Chris and or I will answer um, you know, these questions and comments, and then we will get into the main event and we'll talk about Raw. So we're going to start off with TP at T Jones with three S's, 1994. They are going to try and turn arguably the most over person in the company heel, aren't they? Now, he asked this live during SummerSlam, and reports have come out since SummerSlam that Becky Lynch, the reason for this booking, uh, the character that she's going to have on SmackDown, is a heel. Uh, I want to get worked up over this, because on, on one hand, right, it's incredibly dumb and idiotic. But at the same time, you look at what's happened with Roman Reigns over the last year, and they've handled him perfectly. He's had input and say on the character. Paul Heyman's involved. Clearly, things are going in the right direction with Roman Reigns. But the difference between Becky Lynch and Roman Reigns is Becky Lynch is returning as a conquering hero, as someone who had to relinquish the Raw Women's Championship, as someone who was completely, massively over as a face. So on one hand, do I think her character may have need a little may have needed a little refreshing? Sure, yes. Do I think it needs to be in the form of a full-on heel turn? Not really, because SmackDown fans and WWE fans want to cheer the man. So we already discussed the booking at SummerSlam. We don't really need to rehash why Becky returning was good, given Sasha wasn't going to be there, but the way they booked the match with Bianca Belair was absolutely terrible. But I'm not going to get worked up over Becky Lynch, quote unquote, heel until I see what Becky Lynch, quote unquote, heel looks like. Right. And that's going to come on Friday. So it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound like the right decision. But the reports are that when Becky returned, she told WWE this is what she wanted. That Again, that also doesn't mean that it's good. Wrestlers suggest storylines and gimmicks all the time that are terrible. Um but I think Becky Lynch is a pretty good handle on her character. And since she turned into the man, I think WWE's handled her extremely well. So at this point, I don't like the, hey, I'll wait and see and let's, you know, make sure it sucks all the time uh, before we go on a rant about it sucking. But regarding Becky Lynch, I'm absolutely going to do that. Yeah, I mean, the booking for SummerSlam was bad. We know that I, I WWE may have a plan. We'll see what that plan is, but it's perfectly fair to judge what happened at SummerSlam on its own on in the moment, because that's what you're supposed to do when things happen in front of your eyes. And there was not a pop when she won the reaction. You listened to the reaction from the crowd was kind of stunned and confused. And, and maybe that helps if it's a potential heel turn. I don't know. 
if you're going to make her a heel, I don't think you you bring her back like that because she's always going to get a huge cheer for coming back. People want to cheer her. Honestly, the way you, if, if you want to turn Becky Hill, honestly, the way to do it is probably exactly what they just did with Sasha. She comes back. Everybody's happy to see her. It's good to see her. Then like two weeks later, then she does something to Bianca and then you move into the heel turn because doing it in that moment at SummerSlam just made for a really weird situation and it kind of hung over the show for quite a while. And it's one of the it's one of the number one things people are talking about coming out of it in a negative way. And I don't think that's that's necessarily good. Didn't Sasha Banks turn heel the night she returned? She did. Yes. But that's yeah, what I'm, okay. saying. I'm saying you come back, you get the cheer for coming back and then you turn heel later. Yeah, it just it was really exceptionally strange the way they booked it on SummerSlam. But again, we already talked about that on the instant analysis. I should note if for some reason you're listening to this episode and you have not heard our SummerSlam instant analysis podcast from two days ago. You need to listen to that first in the archives. And if you have listened to everything we've done, but somehow missed my Riddle interview from Thursday, make sure you go back and listen to that Riddle interview because it was very good, I think. I'll do the Barry Horowitz, pat myself on the back, and very entertaining. And I feel like that interview may have gotten lost in everything that we did over the last week. So I meant to say that earlier. I forgot. But make sure you listen to both Instant Analysis Podcast, SummerSlam, NXT TakeOver. We also have the CM Punk Instant a reaction podcast, as well as a riddle interview all since last Thursday. Just a reminder. All right, let's keep going. Brett Charles uh, Millam at Brett underscore Millam. He says, the most positive takeaway from the show SummerSlam is that WWE got an entire stadium of people to chant holy shit at the prospect of a Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar match, which was booed out of a previous stadium event at WrestleMania 34, just because of how well they've booked Roman this last year. And of course, it helped that Brock looked like a Norse god, as you pointed out. I do think that's actually being overlooked. That I know, you know, people are so encompassed with the idea of Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar returning on the same show and Becky getting overshadowed a little bit and all that type of stuff. We, I don't really feel like we on the instant analysis spent enough time with Brock Lesnar being back and being over as a baby face going up against Reigns. They handled that perfectly. And by the way, let me also note, they kept Becky Lynch's return and Brock Lesnar's return completely quiet. People knew Becky was going to be at the show, but she's been at the last three pay-per-views. So that wasn't odd. But the fact that she was returning and being the replacement for Sasha and that Brock Lesnar was returning at the end of the main event were kept 100% quiet and were legitimate surprises by WWE. So they deserve a lot of credit for getting Lesnar and Reigns both over in the opposite roles that they were previously and for keeping both returns quiet. Yeah, and WWE actually announced today as part of their SummerSlam numbers that the Brock return video was the most viewed Instagram video they've ever had, uh, outpacing the John Cena return from a month prior. So, no, it's exciting. This is the Brock, the Brock Roman match where we get to cheer for Brock is the one that everybody's wanted to do and about half the fan base has been doing every time they've gotten together. These two work really well together. I mean, that WrestleMania 31 match was great. The 34 match went long. It kind of got overshadowed by the crowd just not being into it because of the idea of Roman going over and people didn't want that. It's a completely different dynamic now. And when you when you let people boo the person they want to boo, it right. also makes them cheer the person you want them to cheer. So, yes. I'm really excited for another Brock Roman match whenever it happens. For sure. I, I am concerned that it's going to happen at Blood Money in the Sand 6 and not 
like at a real right. pay-per-view or at a big pay-per-view. The timing of Brock Lesnar coming back is weird, which we did get a DM from Josh at Big Blue Power Ho, H-O-1, <laughs> that's his name, uh, was Brock a response to AEW? Who knows? My problem is, why did you think AEW brought out Punk the night before SummerSlam? Uh, I think Punk returning the night before SummerSlam was 100% purposeful. I don't necessarily think it was a shot at WWE, but I mean, they knew that it was a big wrestling weekend. Um, they knew Punk was coming in. They wanted to, you know, get a huge rating for Rampage in week two. And it just made total sense that Saturday, that, that uh, Friday slot was probably open for the United Center. It all mm -hmm. came together. And yeah, they were able to make news before the WWE made news a couple days later. Uh, regarding whether Brock is a response, I know I know for a fact that Becky Lynch was not a response. She was a replacement for Sasha. That WWE said, look, we're not giving you a big match that we promised. Becky was supposed to return in October. Let And I've had that confirmed to me, by the way, like literally someone within WWE confirmed she was going to come back in October. Uh, so let's move that up to give fans the value for their ticket and for, you know, watching SummerSlam, let's get Becky Lynch back. Now, the booking of Lynch sucked, but that was 100% due to Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch coming back earlier. Brock, I don't know the answer to. There's a chance it was a response to Punk, but considering the Saudi Arabia show is happening in October and they clearly want to build to that, but simultaneously, it seems like, and we'll find out Friday, they have the Finn Balor storyline all set for October. I mean, for, I'm sorry, September. I don't think he was a reaction to Punk, although maybe having him return in this moment on this weekend was a reaction to Punk. I just would not be surprised if Lesnar reigns was all, always going to happen at this. I don't need a crown jewel, but I, I don't call it that. Uh, whatever the show is. In Saudi Arabia. I don't, I'm sure what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> I literally just call it Blood Money in the Sand. Yeah. <laughs> just naturally. I coined that like three years ago. I'm I know, I know you did. I remember. I listened to it at the time. Very um, proud. Yeah. I, you know, I, I speculated this on our instant analysis. I said um, it felt like a response because, yes, Brock Roman as a future match makes sense. Not Brock Roman in general, but bringing him out at SummerSlam because, like you said, they have set up Finn as the next person. We'll see what happens on Friday. My thought was, hey, get 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 people talking a bit more at the end of SummerSlam by doing something like that. We haven't had any reports either way, whether it was or wasn't. Um, but and, and, and yeah, if WWE did that, fine. If 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 part of AEW's planning was because it was the night before SummerSlam, fine. Like that's good. I want these companies to right, fight right. each other. Like 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 it's perfectly fine. So I I I seriously do wonder if they did that to to end the show as the top thing of the weekend instead of people talking about CM Punk, but we don't know that for sure. Also, let's just kind of be clear too. The reason why there were uh, not, not the reason why there were two returns, but Becky was the replacement, right? right? So if Lesnar was the plan and they didn't plan to have Becky on the show, then Lesnar's return would not have overshadowed Becky because it would have overshadowed no one else returning. So that's why I believe it's very possible. Lesnar was always meant to be in that spot but it was the Becky spot that they had to just make the replacement for. I don't think they would return Becky and then say, you know what? We also have to return Lesnar to answer CM Punk. Becky would have been enough, even though the booking of Becky returning sucked. So I just think that, you know, it was something notable. Uh, we'll keep going. we got a bunch more. Steven Z at Steven Z with two E's 14. Something that would have been interesting to address while well, we're doing it 
is why Balor, Lynch, and Lesnar all appear headed to SmackDown when it's really Raw that's desperately in need of star power. This is baffling. It truly is baffling. And we saw it Monday night as well. It's actually something I was going to talk about later, but we'll do it now. SmackDown is stacked with massive talent and big names. Raw basically has no main event scene right now. I do not understand what WWE is doing. Are are they doing this because they're going to cycle talent over in the draft? Maybe. That seems to be at least one, if not two months away at this point. So I just have, I don't get it. They have Roman Reigns and Edge. They have Balor, Lynch, and Lesnar. Um, They have Kevin Owens and Shinsuke Nakamura. Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins is over there. Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. Bailey is there. Um, You know, she's injured, but she's there. Like, they just introduced a new women's tag team over there. They just brought Tony Storm over there. Raw got carrying Cross, which we will talk about. <laughs> Keith Lee returning, which I love Keith, but you know he's rusty and he wasn't really kind of ready to come. You know, he's not a main event level talent right now. We hope he will be one day. And that's it. Yeah. Th- there's no new women. There's no big name returns. John Cena, let's not forget, was also just on SmackDown. So SmackDown. If SmackDown was Raw and had three hours, it still wouldn't have enough time given all the talent on its roster. Raw is three hours, and I got to say, I got to give them credit. They did a great job this week, Raw, not giving us repeat matches, making the show feel fresh. There was plenty of it that I didn't like, but it was a fresh episode. Yeah, and, and that that's... But but, my, but but they did that with no one, with no right. roster. Well, like, that, that, that's my review of Raw this weekend, every week, is that like there's some mid-level stuff that's perfectly fine, but there's nothing that moves the needle on Raw. RK-Bro did kind of for a little bit, but that's it. There's nothing that is like, I got, I can't, I got to watch that. I can't wait to see it on Raw. Nothing. There's nothing there. Yeah. SmackDown is full of it. That's I, you're the, the, the listener is right. I'm very surprised that they're continuing to add more and more and more to SmackDown. I, when Raw is really what needs it. Yeah. It's not just that the booking on Raw is bad. I anticipate watching NXT every week. Because I know I'm going to get a good wrestling show. I anticipate watching AEW Dynamite, especially this week because I know CM Punk's coming back. But because they have a lot of talent I really like. And the show has massively improved since they've added that talent. And I anticipate watching SmackDown every week because they have stars. They have an incredible roster of talent that just added Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar to it. (laughs) Why am I watching Raw? Like, what incentive? Is WWE giving me to watch Raw? If the show was booked well every week, then okay, maybe the talent roster isn't as stacked, but I know I'm going to get a good wrestling show. But it's not a good wrestling show most weeks, and the roster is extremely thin, and the people there's tons of people on the roster that are not being used. So why am I tuning into Raw? They have not given me any reason to. Nope. Uh, Jim at Jim with two M's. 987-654-3210 says, any thoughts on SummerSlam booking being a means to set up Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg and Becky Lynch versus Charlotte in the champion versus champion matches at Survivor Series? I hope I'm wrong, especially on the men's side, but I'm curious what you think. Thanks. Love the show. I don't think that they put the title on Becky specifically to have the Becky Charlotte match at Survivor Series. However, that's a huge match, certainly, and will be a big match. And my anticipation is that both of them will retain their titles until Survivor Series, and we will get that match. Regarding Brock and Goldberg, 
it's really interesting because Chris, coming out of SummerSlam, given the booking with Goldberg, assuming it's going to happen at Blood Money in the Sand, I think Goldberg's going to win the title. And that just levels me. So, like, so, so, I mean, so you think two title changes at... I, I didn't say Brock yet. I'm not there. Okay. But I do think Goldberg wins the title. Um, and, you know, obviously doing it in Saudi Arabia is way better than doing it at SummerSlam. But doing it at all is absolutely horrendous. I don't think if Brock Reigns happens at Blood Money in the Sand that Brock wins. I think what we're more likely to get is Reigns versus Goldberg at Survivor Series, which was the WrestleMania match we did not get last year in 2020. And it's another person for Reigns to go over. Maybe Reigns Brock ends up in a DQ. It's just some schmoz bullshit. And honestly, I'd probably be okay with that because it's a better booking than Reigns beating Brock or Brock beating Reigns clean, given the event it's happening. Um, But I don't know what you do storyline-wise with Brock. We've talked about it. I'm excited that Brock is back. But here we go again, injected right into the world title picture. These people don't need to be injected into the world title picture. They're really big names on their own. So, you know, Jim, I don't think what you said is going to be aligning exactly right on the men's side. I do think Goldberg is going to win the title. But I do think we do get Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair at Survivor Series. You know, when Goldberg was getting beat down, I was kind of hoping Brock was going to come out then, though it wouldn't have really made sense at, at that point in the show. Brock's a guy you end the show with. You know, with with these matches, however they play out, it really could set us up the Les, the Le, the Lashley-Brock match, which we all want to see. So much big meaty men slap and meat in that. But you don't need to do title versus title for that, I feel like. I feel like if you wanted to, you could just put Brock on Raw and do that. So... I, I think I think that's more likely. I think Lashley Brock is more likely than Goldberg Brock. Um, but yeah, it's it you could really see these going. I, I I'm not sure about Goldberg. I know you think Goldberg's gonna win, but yeah, it really sets us up for a lot of different possibilities. It does, and I'm curious to see how it plays out, but I'm not that excited to see it play out, especially yep. Goldberg possibly becoming WWE champion again, beating Bobby Lashley. I don't care if Gage holds Lashley's leg and Goldberg spears him. It's going to be bad. And I just don't see why they have Lashley kick the ever-loving shit out of Goldberg at SummerSlam if and involve his you know sophomore and high school son if Goldberg's not beating Lashley. I, I don't know how they book it that how they book it if it's not Goldberg winning. Lashley beating Goldberg twice truly kills Goldberg. Like even not that Goldberg needs to be, um, you know, propped up at 54 years old, but I mean, what relevance would Goldberg have in WWE if he just gets beat every single time he comes back? Yep. So I, I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, at Jeremy Smith show, he said, the Goldberg nonsense is one of the worst things I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. This is an exaggeration. Uh, <laughs> keep in mind, I was a WCW guy and a Goldberg guy. I like the character and the mystique. The story was terrible. The match was terrible. The fact that they're going to run it back and have the audacity to try to get sympathy on Goldberg is absolutely atrocious. I agree with that latter point. Drop all the 0.0 sound effects you want. This is atrocious. Lashley deserved better. MVP deserves better. The people who still watch that garbage raw product deserve better. WWE deserves every plummeting raw rating and every major AEW moment of the coming months. The product has scarcely ever seemed more out of touch than it did in that moment. I think that's a massive exaggeration. I mean, it was bad. And I hate a schmoz finish, but Goldberg and Lashley 
Like, I thought it was going to be an awful match and it was going to be a three-minute match. I actually give them credit for putting on a seven or eight-minute match that was in- intriguing and we got some big meaty men slap and meet. The booking's terrible. I'm scared that Goldberg is going to win the title. We just went over that. Um, and I hate that it's continuing in every possible way. But in terms of my reaction in SummerSlam in that moment, I mean, the Becky Lynch beating uh, Bianca Belair thing was far worse than that. And the Alexa Bliss, Lily fucking Eva Marie thing was far worse than that. So this was not that offensive to me, given what we've seen from WWE. And by the way, given what we saw on Raw, we will get to it with a certain someone who was a former NXT champion. This is not the worst thing WWE's done, not even close. But was it bad? Yes, it was bad. Yeah, I was honestly pleasantly surprised when Goldberg and Lashley started to have like kind of a normal match for a few minutes there. And I was like, yeah, this is what we always like. This is all you ever need to do with Goldberg. You don't need to do spear, spear, spear. You beat the fiend like him and Brock having that WrestleMania match a couple years ago surprised everybody because we all expected the the two two minute match when we all know he could do something simple like that. So I actually was like, oh, okay, this is actually a match. Lashley will win and then we're good. But then the way it ended and you're like, oh, we're going to run this back again. Then I was dreading it because everything about Goldberg, we're just we're watching it in a meta sense because we're like, it's not really about the story. It's about what's coming next. (laughs) Is Goldberg going to win the title at some point? It floats over everything we think about with him. And that sucks. And that's why he shouldn't be really doing this. Although I do love Goldberg in general. We had Arun Singh at Arun. If Edge gets drafted to Raw, do we get rated RK Bro? I mean, that would be super cool, right? If they actually did that. I'd love that. Um, but no, I I don't know what's happening again with all of these legends, but Edge and Lesnar on the same show seems completely unnecessary. I think Raw would do great with an uh, adrenaline bump of Edge. And I got to say, you want someone to beat Lashley. Edge can beat Lashley, believably. Yeah. That's who I I would move Lashley. I mean, sorry, Edge over to Raw. And I would have Edge take the title off Lashley. It's perfect. And then you have Edge put over a younger talent. It's done. It's right there for you. It it makes sense. I mean, Edge and Rollins, we'll see if it continues. I don't think it needs to continue. No, I don't think it does either. Rollins doesn't need to get one over on Edge because he's Seth Rollins. He's fine. He'll, He'll be fine. But yeah, you want someone who will move the needle and get him over to Raw. Edge certainly be someone who does that. He really would. And you don't need him every week, which obviously Edge is not there every week, so it would work. Uh, Aza Emperor at Aza, A-Z-Z-A, March 1. He sent me a video of Nikki Bella and her brother on some red carpet after SummerSlam. It definitely made the rounds this week, Chris. Did you see it? Or I did I not. What is this video? Okay, so Nikki's basically on the red carpet. In my opinion, I don't know this to be true. She seemed wasted, like kind of drunk off her ass and said she couldn't like anything that happened at SummerSlam. She was asked what her favorite moment was from SummerSlam because the Bianca Belair-Becky Lynch match really pissed her off and annoyed her. Interesting. Now, I thought it was patently absurd, just to be honest, what she said. She doesn't need to suck up to WWE. I actually liked her honesty that she was so viscerally angry about that. But to be in that spot and have nothing positive to say, I just thought she kind of showed her ass in that moment. And I, I don't know, she was tweeting before about not being allowed at the show, but she was at the red carpet. So I, I don't even know what's going on. I thought it was really strange. Um, anyone who watches that video, maybe you can watch it. We'll talk about it next week. It was just weird. And it, I was asked about it. So I wanted to bring it up. JB at JB. Well, real, real, real quick. I, I haven't seen the video, but I think it's, it's, it's an interesting reaction. Consider she doesn't like the short match 
what happened with Becky. Because you remember the whole give divas a chance thing started with incredibly short women's matches that didn't do anything. And Nikki Bella herself very much improved as a wrestler. So I could understand just the simple, hey, the women got a title match and it lasted 20 seconds. And that really, really pisses me off thing. I could understand that. I, I don't think cool. she was. She wasn't angry at the, the length of the match. She was angry at what they did to Bianca, which is a fair opinion, which is something we agree right. with. It was not a it was not a well booked situation, but to then say that nothing else on the rest of the show was good, it's just patently false. I mean, Seth Rollins and Edge was, was on that show. It was great. Even if you hated everything else, you would have to say that was a good match. Like the Raw women's yes. match oh, sure. got a lot of time and was yes. very good. So for sure. I, I just I just think the idea of really short women's match on a big stage still probably triggers a lot of people who maybe who, dealt with that for a while but uh, we're all we're just speculating here. yeah no of course uh jay brax uh 1122 he was at the smackdown in phoenix he pointed out that roman reigns exuded star power he also said we need to remember when we do the podcast not every wrestling fan listens to podcast and goes deep on analysis so when reigns made his i'll leave wwe comment if i lose people in the arena and probably many at home were legitimately stunned by it and it did probably ramp up the intensity for the match i think that's a good point you know, we need to remember that not everyone looks at wrestling as analytical as analytically as we do, especially WWE main roster stuff. But at the same time, I do think our opinions on that subject were fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm yes, but that's, that's also why I said I, I simply would have just flipped it and put John Cena as the right the exactly. winner go home one. So and I, I think it would have had an even bigger impact. So I, I guess it still stands here. And then two more things I'm just going to read. Eldred Ryan at Acme Tunes. We read his DM on the CM Punk show. He said he wanted to clarify his point was more about WWE's ability to lure future prospects and not that the company would actually die just because of CM Punk. I just wanted to give him the space to kind of say that sure. and issue a little bit of a clarification. And I won't read who this DM is from, but one of our listeners from Australia who is going through a difficult time right now said this podcast is one of the things he looks forward to most every week. So I just wanted to say an initial shout out to you, A, uh, if we even play a 1% role in making your life better or easier or anyone else who listens to the show, that feels really good to me. It's way more important than being the 24th ranked wrestling podcast for a single week. Things will get better. I promise. Um, thank you for listening. And thanks to all of our fans down under because we have a significant listenership in Australia. And I am a big fan of the Aussie talent and, uh, uh, how do you say it? New Zealander? Is that what it is? The New Zealander talent? I, I think so. I mean, sometimes they say Kiwi, but I don't know. The Kiwi ex- talent? I don't yeah, know the okay. exact uh, uh, where that exactly applies. Right. And if that's appropriate or not, I don't know. Uh, but all of that talent from uh, from that hemisphere, uh, we're big fans of them in WWE. And I'm glad you guys like listening to us. And lastly, before we get to the main event, uh, Walter, Isla Dragunov, Chris, I rewatched it, right? Because I said five stars, A plus, no doubt, you know, but I wanted to give a real match grade it's 5.5 stars that's where i'm going officially okay yeah because i mean the first time you watch a match not knowing who's gonna win is certainly a big part of the feeling so the fact that you could go back and watch it knowing how it ends and still feel that way is really a test oh yeah i mean when i you know when i watched that's back on the old show okada omega the final match um i was talking with my I mean, I was the co-host at the time. I'm sorry, the host of that show, Brian Campbell. Uh, I said, Brian, I'm like, this was a seven star match because it has to be better than any match I've ever seen. It has to be rated higher because that's what it was. And it legitimately was that. 
Um, so I always keep that match in mind, that final Omega Akata match. And for something to meet that or surpass it, it's going to be almost impossible in professional wrestling for something to get there. But there have been plenty of five-star matches, you know, in, in between the five and six-star range for me. And the first Walter match with Isla was a five-star match, no question. This was simply better. It just was uh, in most ways. And therefore, I'm going 5.5. Um, it was great. Again, these ratings don't really matter, but A++. So that match was yeah. incredible. Thanks, everybody, for the DMs. Um, thanks for, for uh, always listening, and we always appreciate when people uh, reach out. Absolutely. Now, let's get into the meat of the show, what we normally do here on Tuesdays. Let's slide into the main event. <laughs> So the main event is going to be all about Raw, but the good, the bad, and the ugly will touch on both Raw and other things from SmackDown that did not make their way onto the uh, show, onto the Instant Analysis show. So Bobby Lashley and MVP opened Raw with MVP saying Goldberg was a coward for quitting and Lashley did not know Gage was the one who jumped him, but also would not apologize. Damian Priest interrupted, called Lashley a mountain of shit in Spanish and challenged him. Yes, I did translate it. And uh, challenged him on the spot. Lashley punched him. Priest got the advantage and the match was accepted. So we got Lashley and Priest in a singles match. They fought for two minutes before Sheamus ran in and attacked Priest for the DQ. Then Drew McIntyre ran in to save Priest, setting up an obvious tag team match. Now, at first, I was angry that they were going to have Damian Priest lose to Lashley on his first day as United States champion. I liked the idea of the tag team match, though. I just wish they had done it right off of Lashley's initial punch in the confrontation segment instead of starting a bullshit match just to fill some TV time. They could have done Lashley's punching and attacking Priest, um, McIntyre making the save, Sheamus coming back over on top, or Priest getting a little bit over on Lashley, Sheamus attacking and McIntyre making the save and gone immediately into the tag team match. Had they done that, Chris, I would have liked this even more than I did. And I actually did like this entire thing. Um, I'm curious if you agree with that before we move on. It was, it was kind of one of those because it's WWE. You think, oh no, what are they going to actually? How how are they going to get out of this? Because we know what's the worst case scenario. We we know they booked them into something that they don't want to follow through on, and I feel like that's just like it wouldn't be the case even with something like AEW. Or and this goes this goes for Riddle uh, Styles at the end too, when the win and the loss become so much more important than both of them just like looking great. Like if you had had Priest and Lashley go 15 minutes and just tear the house down, I think Priest can lose that match and be fine. Yes. But that's not how WWE does things. So then you're thinking, all right, how are they going to get out of this? Okay. The interfere, we're getting to a tag. So it like it, it, it part of you is like, man, I really want to see Priest Lashley and instead they're giving me a tag match. So you're kind of like, eh. But, but like, I want to see Priest Lashley at a pay-per-view for the title. Sure. You know, I don't want it to be the first night after the guy wins the US Championship, a guy who walked into Raw 18-0, and 0, uh, who's never lost a singles or tag team match in WWE. Yeah, but but I, I like all these guys and I like the stuff they do. It's just kind of the WWE-ness kind of hovers over this when you're watching it. To get into, yeah, the tag team match. But we did get the tag team match, and that match did get a lot of time. It was mm-hmm. Priest and McIntyre against Lashley and Sheamus. Lashley threw Priest into the barricade and helicoptered him into the ring post. He was singled out and dominated by the heels until McIntyre got the hot tag. Sheamus interrupted a claymore that was attempted, and Lashley hit an almighty spinebuster. McIntyre avoided a spear, 
with Lashley running into the post. Sheamus tagged in and hit an avalanche white noise, which was a great spot, with Drew kicking out at 2.8. McIntyre avoided a bro kick. Priest blind tagged himself in with a step-up leg lariat, and MVP held Lashley back from re-entering as Sheamus laid Priest out with a pump knee. McIntyre tagged in, though, and hit a Claymore immediately for the 1-2-3. Now, outside of the unnecessary singles match, I thought this tag team match was extremely well done. It was mm-hmm. pure. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of beef flying out there. There's a lot of beef out here. And I thought it was great. It was a good look for Priest to step up to Lashley the way he did. Damian Priest is now 20 and 0 in singles matches and tag team matches on the main roster. We can talk about WWE not booking NXT talent well. There's plenty of people they've screwed up. They're doing a great job with Damian Priest. Well, to an extent, like 90% of those wins are the Miz and John Morrison. That's Absolutely, but he won them all. Yes. The only match he lost to them was a two-on-one handicap match. Yes. Yeah, so. no, I, I like, I mean, he he carries himself well. He feels like he can be a big star. WWE wants to take these guys uh, who, who weren't indie darlings and make tall, big, giant stars. Damian Priest can be that, and this was a good step in that direction. I hope they continue to give him more and more and give him spotlights where he's face to face with the with the WWE champion and stuff like that, because I thought he he held up well. And and they do that. We'll get to it in a second. But backstage, they kind of push that, too. Oh, they ramped up the intensity. Yeah. So Sheamus stormed into Lashley's VIP lounge, furious that he left him hanging in the match. So they didn't like just left leave that storyline out there. They actually paid it off right away. They threatened each other and MVP eventually got them separated. I loved that short little segment. They were both really aggressive and agitated. Yeah. And while it's heel heel, Sheamus possibly getting a one-off title match at Extreme Rules, as we obviously wait for this Goldberg rematch, would be fresh and different. The problem is they already announced a non-title match for next week. So I just don't know why they did that. My presumption is it's going to break down into a double DQ and they'll have an Extreme Rules match in three weeks. There's a problem with knowing how formulaic WWE is, but... But but if that's all they do, if they only fight two times, I guess I'll be okay with it. But like yeah. we shouldn't have to deal with that, right? Right. Like they should just keep attacking each other and then set the match. And the first time they go head to head in singles is at the pay per view. I don't know why we can't do those things. Allow Sheamus to squash someone next week. Allow exactly, Bobby exactly. Lashley to squash. Like like allow well, Sheamus or, or have or have Lashley just having a match with Shelton Benjamin or something, and Sheamus just interferes and beats him down. I was actually like, going to say exactly like the opposite. Like have um. Sheamus fight Shelton Benjamin just because Lashley's done it so many times and have Lashley fight like a Drew Gulak where it goes four minutes and Lashley wins. Like those things are okay to do, but they just refuse to do them. And this they announced, look, they announced on Raw three matches for next week, which is something they never do seven days out. I like that. But what they also could do is if you're not going to announce matches, then yes, you can give the crowd a Lashley versus Gulak unadvertised, get a squash, have Sheamus attack after the match. You can give us a Sheamus-Shelton Benjamin match, have Sheamus win in, you know, seven or eight minutes because it's Shelton, and have Lashley attack him after the match. You can do that in back-to-back weeks, and that wastes time, and then you involve weapons, and then you get your Extreme Rules match. You don't need to give us Lashley-Sheamus the next week if you're clearly building for it at the pay-per-view. But that said, it is fresh. It is different, and Sheamus being in a world title feud is a good development. And Chris, we got McIntyre and P- and Priest broing out backstage. Drew offered to take him drinking, 
I thought it was the coolest McIntyre has looked and acted in six months. Again, except for the singles match, I really enjoyed everything they did with these four on Monday night. Yes, and none of it felt like big major stuff like you get on SmackDown, but that's kind of back to this is kind of the biggest thing they have on Raw. This is maybe like a B-plus type of story feud, but it's got to carry Raw right now. I am excited for Lashley and Sheamus. I think they'll beat the crap out of each other, and it'll be a lot of fun. I'm much more looking forward to that than I am the next Lashley Goldberg. I mean, the truth is they're going to need to reinforce the ring post. So I have to say, and this is going to, this is the take for me on Raw. There was good stuff on Raw. Raw did feel in some ways, I'd say two thirds of the show actually felt somewhat fresh, but there was an hour, one third of that show that was just atrocious. It really was. Uh, But let's get to something else. I thought at least part of it uh, was fresh or maybe not fresh, but it was at least, it made me anticipate what might happen in the future. And that was Charlotte Flair bragging about having more women's title reigns than fingers with 12 and getting a mix of boos and cheers in this really long promo that she was allowed to cut. She said she deserved a statue because her legacy will be unmatched. Flair, she said she doesn't need friends, doesn't need family, and sure as hell doesn't need fans because all she needs is the championship. She got pyro, bragged about her looks, and said she would restore order and remind people what it's like to be proud while watching Raw. She also said she started the first women's evolution and tonight on Raw, she was going to start a new one. I thought her promo was top tier. She crushed it. And I was excited that WWE, what I thought, was not going to force a challenger into the segment because sometimes a champion should just be able to stand on their own Mm -hmm. and celebrate in one night. So I want to pause here and let you get in before we talk about what happened next. As this promo ended, I was like, man, this is exciting. Are they about to debut Dakota Kai? Are they going to put a greater emphasis on women's wrestling on Raw? The way Charlotte spoke was almost one of those promos where it's like, yeah, WWE recognizes that Raw sucks. And Charlotte's saying, hey, I'm going to be the one that changes that. So at that moment, I was like, damn, this is really good and really different. Yeah, I mean, she she's been doing this for two, three months now. And, and it's why I didn't like that she lost the title to Nikki Ash on the cash-in because her character is one as the champion. Like, she carries herself as like, like talks like that. She's great in this role. And you got to have the belt around your waist to do that. The problem is Rhea had it for a bit. Then Charlotte got it and lost it again. Now she's finally got it. This has to start off a long reign because like she said, she's at, what, 12 championships now? Yes. And you got to you got to make these mean something and continuing losing it and winning it are, are not helping. So she is really, really good. And the mix of cheers and booze was I, I think part of it was cheering out of respect because she is uh, arguably the best women's wrestler in the world. And the question is, after all this Rhea and Nikki Ash stuff, what other challengers are there? And that's what we got at the end of this. Yeah, so I'm here ready to say this was great and I'm I'm pumped up for Charlotte and they're ready to move on and, and change things and great. And then just like that, Raw takes a shit in my cereal <laughs> by having Alexa Bliss come out, say hi to Charlotte and literally nothing else happened. 
And again, we said this so many times on Saturday's show. This is another example of WWE just not being able to get out of its own way. Here you have Flair, the newly crowned champion, cutting a great egotistical promo, looking strong, and making me think new women are going to debut, given her evolution comments, only for WWE to force Bliss, and not even Bliss, I like her, but force fucking Lily down my throat again. This isn't 0.0 necessarily because Charlotte's promo was good, but the Bliss part was such a downer to me because of her character. They just had this woman fight Eva Marie on a pay-per-view in a match that never should have happened, and they got crickets. The crowd hated it. Maybe they liked Bliss. They did cheer for her in certain spots, but they don't love this version of her. Look, maybe they're going to surprise us. The one thing I will say, Chris, is Charlotte and Bliss have only fought once before. This has been a few that fans have wanted for eight years. I just don't think they thought when they'd finally get it, it would be Charlotte Flair, the 12-time champion, and Alexa Bliss, who's a you know poor man's knockoff of The Fiend walking around with a doll that no one likes. Yeah, and, and part of you immediately thinks, oh man, Bray Wyatt won the title. That was a mistake. He should have been... Right. The Fiend, the Fiend should have been kept away from the title. Don't get Alexa Bliss involved in the title. That said, I'm not expecting Charlotte to drop the title to Alexa Bliss. No, I think neither. I think this will be annoying for a few weeks. The match will probably be pretty good. And maybe then we move on to something else. So Charlotte's going to have to act freaked out by some of this Alexa stuff. I, I, I like it didn't. I mean, you called it a shit in your cereal. I, it wasn't that to me. I agree. They should have just let Charlotte stand on her own with that. When you heard that music. You had to say to yourself, wait, wasn't she just talking about an evolution? Like, that was the first thought that went through my brain. I was anticipating a Dakota Kai, yeah, um, I, I, I an Io Shirai, I, you know, someone like that to come out. And and by the way, WWE needs that on Raw. They need new talent. They need people debuting. They need excitement. And we get right. Alexa Bliss. Yeah, I, I, yeah. So I didn't, I was like, all right, fine. That was kind of my reaction to it in the end. But Charlotte did a great job. Alexa will be... It'll be weird. People Look, are- if if Charlotte boots her head off and rips Lily's, you know, head off her body and ends this gimmick and maybe Nikki Ash is there to save what remains of a broken down Alexa Bliss afterward. OK, you know what? Maybe I'm OK with that in the end. So I will see like how it goes. But. I don't know. I, sh- give people opportunities. You have Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler who have been threatening to split up for like two months. Give me Charlotte versus Face Shayna. Why can't I get that? Like, why can't I just yeah. get something good and different exactly. and fresh? Shayna, Shayna versus Charlotte would have been fun as hell. It'd be great. It. It'd be but awesome. They just, they lean into archetypes and off we go. I guess Alexa's a face now with the Eva stuff. We haven't really been. <laughs> right. That hasn't exactly been made clear, which isn't always, which is, isn't always needed, but considering her character that, Kind of is a big role. So before we get to the good, the bad, and the ugly, I did want to take a brief moment on this show uh, to shout out the people who contributed last week to the Getting Over Fund, basically to ensure that we um, are able to host our podcast, and especially with growing listenerships, that gets a little bit more expensive as time goes on for additional equipment or you know future needs. You guys contributed a significant amount, and I just wanted to shout out everyone. Everyone, like I said, who contributed was extremely generous. 
We appreciate all of you. I wanted to give special shout outs at first to these guys, Jason J, Adam M, Michael A, Joshua S, Jet L, and Alan W for honestly shocking me with the contributions that you made. You guys alone put us over the goal. So I just want to say thank you so much to all of you. And I'm going to try to figure out something really cool that we can all do together. But there were so many others who contributed also. Atish T, Jordan S, Patrick L, Michael J, Clark M, James F, uh, Joe's, I believe it is, J-O-S-U-E, R, um, Robert R, Jacob D, Adam K, Jason M, Michael C, Dave S, Brendan M, Giancarlo G, Daniel G, Dan B, Tim L, Wes S, Daniel B, Blake M, and Jordan S. I appreciate all of you so much for your support. We do have plenty of female listeners, by the way. They just didn't contribute. So even though all those names were men, just so you guys know. Uh, And even though there were thousands more of you out there who listen to the show and all these shows every week, I just want to thank you because without you guys, we don't get to become the number 24 podcast in North America for professional wrestling. There's no way the show is still going on if you guys aren't listening. And certainly you guys contributing helps us in the future as well. So a big thank, thank you for me. And yes, I'm sure Chris much. wants to say the same. Thank you very much. I, we didn't, we started this at the beginning of the pandemic essentially, and we didn't really know what I wasn't initially a part of it came on pretty early and didn't know what to expect. I just wanted to talk wrestling with somebody. And so to, to, to know that uh, we have a lot of people who listen and appreciate uh, who enjoy this is, is great. And I really appreciate all that. I mean, the fact that like once a year we ask for contributions and then I literally have to stop you guys from contributing because we've, earned, you know, hit the goal or gone beyond it. That just says all it needs to. So again, thank you very much. I'm glad all of you getting overheads love this show. And we're here to give you more of the show with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Showing you the good, the bad, the ugly when your money gets funny and them days ain't sunny. We're showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, and this is for the hood. You got to love me. I, I love this segment. I gotta say, I think <laughs> this has really changed the way we talk about the other stuff that happens that yeah. isn't main event caliber. So let's get into it. We do have a couple things that are a little bit long here, but we're gonna try to go through it as expeditiously as possible. Uh, RK Bro had a special celebration. Riddle told Randy Orton backstage he was really excited about it. Orton said he'd be fine as long as Riddle didn't do anything stupid. The crowd was on its feet for Riddle, and then it gave Orton a standing ovation when he came out. Mike Rome gave them a huge introduction on the mic, and a ton of pyro went off. Then Riddle gifted Orton his own scooter. AJ Styles interrupted, pulling a mic out of Omas's jacket pocket, which I thought was funny, uh, to point out that Orton didn't get Riddle a gift, including even a plant, which would have been a very good fit for Riddle. Also funny. Uh, Styles said he wanted the titles back and he challenged Riddle one-on-one. So this did get about 15 minutes and it was the main event of the show. All of this happened in the final 15 or I guess 20 minutes of the show. Styles hit his flipping inverted DDT for a near fall and then rolled Riddle into a calf crusher. Riddle eventually reversed that into a bro mission, but Styles escaped for a near fall. Riddle hit a V-trigger, but Omos distracted him on the top rope. Orton got tossed by Omos and Styles hit a damn burning hammer on Riddle, which was great for a near fall. Orton then grabbed the scooter that Riddle gifted him and beat the hell out of Omas with it, which is not something we've seen before. Uh, that distracted Styles. Riddle caught him with a V-trigger and bro Derek for the one, two, three. 
The crowd was already going wild for the finish. And then Orton hit Styles with an RKO and they popped even bigger and Raw closed with a bang that we have not seen Raw close with in it feels like a year, maybe even two years. So the main event was not made, I actually did count, until there were 22 minutes left. And it was a rematch. But to be fair, Chris, it was the only rematch Mm -hmm. on the entire three-hour show. And if you're going to give me any rematch, Riddle versus Styles is it. I could watch it every week. And yes, seriously, if WWE gave us 20 weeks of Riddle versus Styles, I'm not going to complain about it being a rematch. It's like the one grouping that I will accept. The wrestling was great. Omas finally looked vulnerable. And RK Bro was given a huge moment to end the show immediately after SummerSlam. This was good in every possible way for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is the kind of thing I I think it was... Uh, they what they have Styles Riddle open Raw last week or something like that or, mm-hmm. or a week or yep. so ago, and my reaction then was how do you not like announce this match before the show like they just made it out of the opening segment like or, Riddle versus Styles is the mat is the match that's gonna get people to to turn on their TV. They did not promote the celebration enough throughout the show because no. even if you didn't know the match was coming. You needed to stay tuned for the celebration. Honestly, but- I, yeah, honestly, I kept forgetting what the main event was supposed to be. Right, show. exactly. Yeah, and it's and it's like, you, you know, the scooter stuff, the celebration, it, it's all good. But I mean, honestly, you could just build up Riddle versus Styles, give me a couple video packages throughout the show, and that's going to do numbers. I, I mean, WWE kind of has its way; they have to tell the story. That's the sports entertainment part of it, but that's the match that'll sell anywhere. It was great stuff. Basically, just yeah, two weeks in a row. If if that's what it is, where I just feel like they should have promoted it better, because because I I think people would really people people are really into it. That was a good one, yeah. Uh, we also had Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler in a tag team match. So they showed us Nikki asking Ripley to tag with her backstage before the show. Jax told Baszler she tagged with Flair just to look out for herself, but they agreed that they are unstoppable when they're on the same page. Nikki got thrown into the turnbuckle and Nia gave her the stink face. Jackson tried and failed on a bonsai drop. That's two matches in a row, by the way, where Nia's done those two moves. And I don't know. I mean, obviously that's her family, right? So if she's doing it to represent them, I'm 100% cool with it. If WWE is asking her to do those things, I find that to be insulting. So I'm not sure what it is. 100% agree. Completely yeah, agree. So I'm not sure what it is and I don't want to cast judgment on it, but I would love to hear an interview with her and find out why she's doing the stink face and the bonsai drop. She is a larger woman, but she also is part of the Samoan dynasty. So is it representative of them or is it literally WWE saying, well, since you're a larger woman, you should be doing these moves. I don't know what it is. So I'm not going to, you know, say it's negative until I know that it should be negative. Uh, Ripley got the hot tag and hit Baszler with a ripcord headbutt and a Northern light suplex, which she does really well for a near fall. Jax tried to break another fall, but instead splashed Baszler. Uh, Nikki splashed Nia outside and got a huge pop from the crowd. The San Diego crowd was incredible at Raw. Big credit to them. And then Ripley beat Baszler with the Riptide. Nikki immediately jumped into the arms of Ripley, hugging her really tight. And Ripley gave great character work. She like begrudgingly smiled and then like shrugged and said, okay, I guess I, guess I like her type of deal. Uh, so like I said, the San Diego crowd made this match. It was a good match, but they Mm -hmm. made it. They were great all night long. They popped massively for this. And I did too. They got plenty of time to wrestle. 
They put on an entertaining match and had a clean finish with Ripley going over strong and Nikki getting some big spots now that she's not champion. It also increases the animosity between Baszler and Jax, which to me, they just need to split. But given we already got two other splits on the show, I had a feeling that they just wanted to delay it a little bit. But Chris, again, I thought this was good all around. Yeah, I mean, Natalia's back, so I guess tag team, women's tag teams should be back, and that's why you theoretically kept Baszler and Nia together. I, I liked also the the backstage Shayna and Nia talking, and Shayna says, oh, you're okay partnering with me now? I thought Charlotte was your new tag team partner. A nice little reference to something that happened a couple weeks prior and a, another point of animosity between the two. So that was like a little thing that I think went a long way. And then the match was good. The match was fun. I, I think Nikki and Rhea honestly has the same vibe as RK Bro because you because you've got the the kind of the smaller, goofy person and the bigger kind of too cool for school tweener person and and that that's a that's a match that'll always work you know in, in any situation so I think that's one reason people definitely got into it and the and the match was good. Now over on SmackDown we had Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs face Apollo Cruz and Commander Aziz. Boogs opened his debut. This was his first match on the WWE main roster and his first television match period. I mean, I'm just off the top of my head guessing, I think in three years or something like that. But he opened it with a quadruple gut wrench suplex, which was insane. He wore a singlet that looked like denim. Aziz hurt his hand or wrist for real early in the match. Boogs actually beat Cruz with this really cool pump handle power slam. This was one of five insanely short matches on SmackDown that made no sense. I had no clue why they were all so short. We don't need five short matches. We need three media matches. But it was the only one where I did not care about match length because the booking hit me right in the field spot with Boogs looking dominant and beating a recent Intercontinental Champion on a go-home show for SummerSlam. Plus, there was an awesome celebration with Pat McAfee afterward. This was big W's all around. And then we got a celebration between all these guys again at SummerSlam. I'm sorry. I loved it. Yeah, no, it's it's good. I liked it. Was it SummerSlam when when Pat McAfee said we're both wearing white or something like that? <laughs> Just compare what they were looking at. Yeah, it was, you know, it was good to see Boogs in a match. He's incredibly entertaining. I mean, you, you talk about what you want out of sports entertainment. It's it's boobs, it's guitars, it's funny stuff. He's even funny in the Applebee's commercial that they do. And and so then you get him in the wrestling ring. He doesn't need I don't I have no idea what his wrestling is. It looks like he's a got an amateur background, so I assume he can can work pretty well. Um he's a guy who I'm I'm real high and I'm glad he got this opportunity. Obviously we we like Nakamura in this role. Um surprised again that Apollo Cruz just kind of takes another pin and don't really hear much from him after that. So he's it's another example of just there's being so many people on SmackDown that, you know, maybe some people could go to Raw and use a fresh up. But uh, no, this was fun. Yeah, this didn't need to be long. It was also notable because none of these guys were really in a match on SummerSlam for a go home show to, to do this match. But, um, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was, it was exactly what it needed to be. So based on what I'm seeing here, OK, this was Rick Boog's third match in his entire WWE career. Now, I believe he was recruited um, from not having wrestling experience, I think. But this guy is like a power lifter. He's massively strong. If you look at mm -hmm. his Twitter account, his YouTube page, he does really funny videos, but he also does a, really, a lot of really strong lifting stuff. 
And what I remembered was his NXT match where he shredded an air guitar and people loved it. That was in January 2019. So I was right. It was almost three years under, you know, two and a half years since his last singles or tag team match in WWE. The only other match he was in was in a brand battle, uh, battle royal at WWE Worlds Collide also back in 2019. So the Good pandemic show. did affect him because I know that he was on the NXT house show loop and he was getting a lot of training and work. But like, think about that. His first match in two and a half years, really, he comes in and beats the former Intercontinental Champion and gets to look really impressive showing off his strength and some cool moves while doing it. I know yeah. some of you probably don't love him the way I do. I think he is massively entertaining and this mm -hmm. was just awesome to see. I was yeah, and it looks like yeah, he did wrestle at Wisconsin, compete at the NCAA championships. Um, obviously, we don't know his full repertoire in terms of professional wrestling, but that's that's the kind of background I'd love to see him and Chad Gable go at at one time. Oh, God, yeah, they, they'd be awesome. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Logan Paul was on Moist TV. Uh, I need to cut some clips, by the way, of uh, Morrison's like moist comments. By, by the way, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Reason. Moist used to be a word that was like weird for everybody to say, but yes. they've, they've done it so much now that it's not even a weird word to me anymore. With Morrison, it's not weird. I think if anyone else on the <laughs> roster said it, it would sound yeah. like Moist does when you say it. Like, um, what was that movie? There's a movie with um, Adam Devine in it where they make the joke about Moist. You probably haven't seen it. You've never seen good movies, so forget No, I, I know Adam, Adam Devine. Do you know, the com it's a comedy movie. Um, I think Anna Kendrick's in it. They're two brothers and they oh, oh, need oh, dates. They, they go to the wedding. Some somebody need wedding dates. Yeah. Some, somebody and somebody need wedding dates. Dave and something need wedding dates. Yeah, yes, something like that. Good movie. Good movie. Okay. Okay. Well, that's a funny movie and they do the whole moist thing um, in there. That's right. So, yeah. Anyway. All right. So Logan Paul was on moist TV. Um, Paul got his ass booed. It was legitimate like go away heat from the yes. San Diego crowd. And he played into it well, I thought. He did. I thought, I thought he did a really good job like handling it and still talking. Especially because I'm pretty sure he wasn't supposed to get booed based on how the rest of the segment played out. I don't know like, that they anticipated him getting cheered, but I don't think yeah. that he was supposed to get like booed like that. Yeah. So he Certainly. did. He did. Yeah. He did handle that well in terms of uh, kind of adjusting. Well, he knows people hate him and his brother. So, I mean, oh, I'm yeah, sure no, no, I know they're used to it. Um, but the Miz quickly entered uh, because Morrison didn't bring him out on his own. And Paul promoted his brother's fight against Tyron Woodley. Uh, Miz kept interrupting before asking how quickly Jake will get knocked out. That's the brother, uh, which put Logan in his face. Miz and Morrison argued and screamed at each other with Morrison calling him out for being selfish and not letting him shine on his own, which, Chris, we've been talking about on this podcast. So I was pretty happy about that. Uh, then we got a singles match, Xavier Woods against the Miz. Woods hit a cool step up senton. He got thrown into the barricade and Morrison spilled water on the floor to help Miz. But Woods instead slid Miz through it into the steel steps. Woods hit an elevated neckbreaker, a tope suicida dropkick, a tope cannonball, and a splash for a near fall. Miz answered with a kneeling DDT. Morrison then went to use the drip stick, but got distracted. Um, or sorry, he distracted the referee accidentally. And Woods caught Miz with an inside cradle for the win. The Miz got mad, but they grabbed drip sticks and looked like they were kind of playing to the crowd until Miz turned on him, brutally attacked Morrison, choked him out with his knee, and hit the skull-crushing finale to a ton of booze, and then Morrison later in the show passionately challenged him for next week. So everything about this did work for me. There was real heat with Paul, and Morrison got to call Miz on his shit on the mic, which is what we've been talking about on the show, wanting him to do. 
I wish Morrison was the aggressor, with Miz perhaps costing him a match against Woods, and then Morrison being the one to like push Miz, Miz pushes him back, so then he attacks him. You can still do that as a face, standing up for yourself. Basically the opposite of what they did here. Maybe that's a little bit of a nitpick because Raw did give me something I liked. I'm more than anything glad that they broke up. I'm glad Morrison is the face and they even lingered on the moment for heat. If it wasn't telegraphed as much, it would have been great. Do I have the concern that we're going to see this a dozen times over the next three months? You bet your ass I have that concern. (laughs) But that hasn't happened yet. So because that hasn't happened yet, I got the split I wanted and Morrison's a baby face. I did think this was good. Yeah, I mean, you you laid it all out there. I, I, I think Morrison did, you know, in his kind of venting at Miz did, you know, did that reaction to him. So he didn't need to be the first. He didn't need to be the one to throw the first punch because he'd kind of gotten it out then. Um, yeah, this worked. I, I, I'm 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 excited for the feud. I don't want it to go on forever because Morrison is such an interesting and fun worker. I'd rather see him in the ring with other people than Miz. Uh, you know, like the, like the Morrison Ricochet matches we got, but yeah, this this was this was needed. Morrison, I have enjoyed him kind of taking the lead while Miz was injured. Um, he's funny, man. He's like he's a funny dude. He can go. It, it it's again, it's exactly what you want in sports entertainment. You know, if we're gonna be if we're gonna be differentiating the two right now, that that's exactly what you want. So I'm excited to see what comes next. By the way, he still looks amazing I'm, I'm looking up how old he is it's insane like, I know. he is 41 he yeah. looks the exact same as he did 10 years ago him and lashley are ridiculous yeah it's it's, it's, it's crazy so good 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 on them and um yeah i hope uh i'm excited for him to get this uh this shine well if, if you think we've been too positive about wwe to start the show oh we haven't been saying i guess we've been saying good I, we haven't really been saying it but i've good said good every time you don't but I've been I, agreeing. I've just been saying yeah. it's been good, but yes, good in this for all segment. The stuff we've in this about segment so far. so far for me, I have four goods. Yeah, everything's been good so far. Okay, well, if you think we've been too positive about WWE, shit's about to change because <laughs> we had Karrion Cross against Ricochet. Oh my god! And Karrion Cross came to the ring in as ridiculous and as stupid of a mask, a gladiator type of mask that I've ever seen in WWE. Mm -hmm. I do thank the Lord that he didn't wrestle in it, but that's a small, very small good bit here in what I'm about to say. He was also wearing his normal ring gear from like the tight portion of it, but with brand new red X suspenders that looked like the dorkiest shit I've ever seen. It looked like what a child would wear dressing up as Mad Max or like something from Mad Max. Literally I'm not a huge Mad Max, Max fan, yeah. but I have seen the, the newest movie once. Um, like for Halloween, that's what it looked like. Cross hit a powerbomb and a Doomsday Saito before locking in the cross jacket to win and beat Ricochet, a guy who just recently got a big win and was in the Money in the Bank match in less than one minute. This was literally ugly with the way Cross looked. It was figuratively ugly the way they just squashed Ricochet. First, they take away Scarlet. Then he loses his Raw debut to Jeff Hardy. Then they add this dumb fucking mask and ugly dorky suspenders. The guy looked like a Mad Max version of Farouk. WWE eventually figured Farouk out 
But that was 25 years ago. And it took the nation of domination. And then it took the APA for Farouk to really be awesome. And that was in the Attitude Era. This was terrible. This was horrible. This was as ugly as could be. Yeah, if he thought this was a great idea, he's a fucking moron. I I, I gotta know what Karrion Cross's reaction is when he has presented this design. Like, 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 is he just in a position where he's gonna say, yes, sir, I'll do it? Like, holy cow, man. Like, what in the world? He also kind of looked like the executioner from WCW way back in the day. I've seen clips of that popping around as well. Holy crap, man. This was worse than the Ascension. Like, you want to talk about, look, like, not even the Ascension would have come out in something like this. Man, what what an unbelievable drop over the past month plus for this guy who, you know, and, and now this also comes one day after the crowd chanted, na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye to him off camera as, as he lost his NXT title. And then they started chanting Hardy at him. Now he's dressed like this. I know a win's a win, but... Jesus, man, this was embarrassing. How the hell did anybody think that was a good idea? This was among the ugliest things I think we've seen since we started this segment. Yeah, I think so as well. Let's continue this uh, train to shit town with Natalia and Tamina uh, against Shotzi and Knox in a championship contenders match. So it was nice to see Natalia back from surgery, right? But this match even happening infuriated me considering Shotzi and Knox already have two clean wins over the champions, each of them in under four minutes. This should have been a title match, if anything. Tegan Knox took out Tamina with a crossbody outside, and Shotzi rolled up Natalia for their third win in under four minutes. And it was a roll-up. It's bad booking. It's bad treatment of the women. And it's just insulting to viewers. My guess is WWE felt like they had to run this back, given it had been a month since this was happening, so they needed a refresher. But that's just lazy. Air video packages and have them confront each other backstage. All four of these women can go. Just give them 10 minutes without a roll-up finish or 15 in a title match already. I'm glad Shotzi and Knox are getting pushed. Don't get me wrong. But this was just bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have much to say other than what you just kind of laid out there. It was okay. bad. And anytime there's a women's match that ends in a roll-up, like, I just, I cringe, I cringe every time. Yeah. Like, you just do something else. Come on. We had Montez Ford against Otis. Ford wore boxing shorts and had his hands taped. I didn't <laughs> understand why. Otis caught him with a running back elbow and just pounded him right over the ropes. Ford hit a frog splash crossbody, but Otis bench pressed him in a kickout and then hit the alpha bomb. By the way, that's my name. They still haven't named it. Uh, in a three-minute win, basically. I know this was the go-home to SummerSlam, but these short matches, again, I just told you about a four-minute match. The tag team match earlier was really short that we discussed. All of these short matches were just absurd. They should have just skipped this and given the women the time or vice versa. I want to say good because the action was strong and Otis won, but this was actually a rivalry match because Otis injured Montez and they couldn't even give them time in a rivalry match. So I, I'm actually going to lean bad here. I, I'm giving it good because there wasn't anything that I thought was bad in it. I just wanted more of it. And we say it every single week of half the stuff on SmackDown. We wish I'd gotten more time. Why not save it to next week? And then we say the same thing again next week. They just simply don't have enough space on SmackDown for all of these really good stories that they're telling. It'd be best if they move some of them to Raw. 
I'm 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 really liking any time I'm getting Street Profits and Alpha Academy. I just wish that we got more of it and it became a full on like big feud and not just kind of a thing that's happening in the background and they're having some matches because these guys are all great and I like seeing them together. But I'm I'm still gonna give it a good. We had Jinder Mahal against Mansoor on Raw. Backstage, Mansoor made Mustafa Ali promise not to get involved in the match. And after a two-minute match, Mahal got disqualified because he didn't listen to the referee's five. <laughs> why is why can't Mahal beat Mansoor? Why can't Jinder Mahal, who was just in a match with former WWE champion Drew McIntyre and is a former WWE champion himself, which they pointed out before the match, why can't he just beat Mansoor? Ali stood over Mansoor and chided him for being naive, saying they need to do things his way. It did advance technically the Mansoor Ali storyline, but again, I don't understand why they can't just let these matches go at least five, six minutes, if not eight to 10. It's a three hour show. Why can't Mansoor get some offense in over a sustained period and be elevated only to then get beaten down at the end by Jinder Mahal? There's no reason you can't book it that way. Let people show off a little bit. This was really bad. Yep, bad. I the 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 disqualified for beating somebody up too much disqualification is the absolute one of the dumbest things in wrestling and it's dumb when it, like you should only break that out in certain specific moments when someone has completely snapped. Not a gender versus Mansoor match the first time they're seeing each other. They're for the first time they're having a match together like what the hell man? But no, this is this is a bad. It really was. So let's move on to Dewdrop saying backstage she actually made a mistake in aligning with Eva Marie. I'm like, okay, but at least it got her foot in the door of WWE. Okay, cool, right? Then she actually said she likes the name Dewdrop and is going to embrace it because that's who she is now. Eva then attacked her with a road case. This is exactly what they did with Chad Gable being insulted yep, yep. as short and then shorty G only to embrace it despite everyone else knowing that it's a terrible gimmick. It didn't work for him and they eventually had to make a change. It's not going to work here either. It's straight up ugly. They should have already transitioned her out of this dumbass name. And my only concern is because it's Dewdrop, it's Piper Nevin, who's very fresh on the scene and not Chad Gable, who is at least established as a performer, that if this doesn't work, I'm concerned about what that could mean for her career. With Gable, I didn't think they'd ever cut him or anything like that. I knew they'd eventually have to go back to it. But he was Shorty G for a year. If she is Dewdrop for an, a year or if she never changes back, I mean, God help this company. This is just pathetic and it was really ugly for them to go in this direction. I'm sure she's going to beat Eva Marie next week. I'm sure she's going to be booked okay. The name is God awful. It's awful, but also if you're a WWE fan, you've kind of gotten used to it, just like the moist thing. And so it's a bit different than Chad Gable in that I think people don't define her by the name change because she like Shorty G because she didn't have a name. I mostly just want her to get through this Eva thing quickly and get her into some matches and let her go because she can work and she's fun to watch when she actually gets to wrestle and she's just dragged down by by all this nonsense that always seems to be around her and I understand the story that they were telling but like let her let her go now and, and do some stuff don't she's going to be tied to the name Dewdrop she's going to be doing Eva Marie stuff 
just like let these people flourish and they, they feel so constricted so many times and because they want to sell certain stories. The Eva Marie story worked great, her and her and Eva and Dewdrop. The concept of it, yes. Yes, Eva yes. and Alexa Bliss didn't really work. I was someone who was like, you know, I want Eva Marie to win Money in the Bank or be the last person in there just to like, just to get everybody upset. You got to do stuff like that to get heat on her, not just kind of be kind of a jerk to her friend who we don't know. And then the Alexa Bliss stuff happens. And it's just like weird. It's just like, let these people lean into the strengths of these people. They always try to just fit them into these boxes. And then nobody, nobody looks better for it. So we'll see what, what do drop. I, I hope, I hope um, she's able to get past this whole name. thing. I did like her line of once the one thing I'm going to do is drop your ass. Like that was mm -hmm. actually good, but that's not the, you know, that's not what the name's about. And it's just, it's insulting and it's ridiculous. Um, there was the Elias vignette from last week that played with the tombstone early in the show. He later in a new vignette said WWE used to stand for world wrestling entertainment. He said he conquered the entertainment aspect, but not the wrestling. They actually had someone say wrestling two times on TV. Wow. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Elias said he wants to be a champion. He put on then a big white hat and said the old Elias is dead. Long live Elias, the WWE superstar. So I have no idea what I if I liked him calling out the wrestling aspect twice or hated the emphasis that he put on WWE superstar. I'll continue leading good here just because the point of vignettes is to intrigue you. And I do remain intrigued. I am curious what is actually going to happen here. But that hat kind of looked weird and calling himself a WWE superstar was kind of weird. I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. I'm happy that we're seeing a transformation for Elias and we're not seeing Jackson Riker at all. So I'm actually in this list of bad stuff here. I'm actually going to say good on this one. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I just don't really have any reaction to it. The hat, it got a little weird this week. The hat was weird. And and who knows? And I just I hope this doesn't drag on for like four or five months like Aleister Black or Stardust stuff. In the past. I hope they actually have a plan and move forward with it. And I, and I, I, I still feel like, I mean, I, I say this almost every week, but I still feel like the previous Elias gimmick was working. It was the perfect time to bring it back with the crowd, but they didn't. Plus they already have boogs on guitar and they probably only want one character to be defined by having a guitar. And so here we go. So we'll see. I, I, I kind of don't have any reaction to this. If I got to say good or bad, I'm going to say bad because it was less interesting this time. But, okay. but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't really bad. Uh, Reggie was, was in the same park as last week, I think, with R-Truth so, and Akira Tozawa in the same outfits getting duped by ice cream as Reggie escaped, jumped on top of an ice cream truck and drove away. This was good last week. It was unnecessarily repetitive this week. That's how bad the creative is on Raw. that They can't just come up with a different scenario, a different funny scenario for these guys. This was bad. It was bad, but the the hidden trampoline bounce from the tree to the ground at the top of the ice cream truck was was uh, pretty that was cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, but other than that, honestly, this might be the first time I give a bad to a Reggie segment, basically because yes, they just copied what they did the previous week. I I, I like that they're outside and not just like backstage roll up something. So it, it's an attempt to do something a little bit different, but. This one kind of repeating, I am I am going to give it a bad. Yeah, I like the idea of the 24-7 title existing outside of the arena. Um, but 
doing the same thing in multiple weeks is just, I mean, it's literally what WWE is about. Maybe I actually should have said there's two rematches on the show because that technically kind of was like a rematch. It was a triple threat rematch almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay, it, Raw was not that repetitive. I did think it was a fresh show. Next week, they've announced three matches. One has not happened in 12 years. The other one has never happened before. And the third one hasn't happened since March. That's all really positive stuff. Again, Raw it doesn't have momentum because there's no new talent and everything seems to be the same even when they do try to do different things. But I'm at least next week going into Raw, like wondering, hey, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't be terrible, actually, is the better way to put it. And I think that is at least a step in the right direction if we're going to give them a, a shred of credit. Uh, lastly, before we get out of here, outside the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, I'd be remiss. There were reports while we were taping this podcast about Adam Cole's contractual status with WWE. One report said he's 100% a free agent. That came from PW Insider. Another report said it actually his contract does not expire until this Friday. So uh, we just don't know, really. Nothing really came of it. Uh, there was also a report uh, from Sean Ross Sapp. That's the one that uh, Fightful, who says that uh, Cole's contract does not expire until Friday. He said he has been told that Cole is going to be offered a new contract by WWE this week. So we will certainly address this on Thursday. If there is anything to address, there may not be. We will stay on top of this story, of course. And, you know, if Adam Cole leaves for AEW or if he debuts on the WWE main roster, it's going to be really big news either way. And you'll be able to get that right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So we were able to wrap up this show pretty short for a normal Tuesday show. I'm very excited about that. I'm not going to waste much of your time with an outro here. Please do not forget to go back to listen to our WWE SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 36 instant analysis episodes if you have not already. I really suggest listening to the NXT episode because we went wild for Walter and Isla Dragunov. And if you are not someone who watches NXT, man, you got to watch their match from October and you got to watch their match from this past Sunday. They were great. And even if you've heard all of those, there's still a chance that you did not listen to my interview with Riddle from last Thursday. Trust me, you do not want to miss that either. Riddle not only talks about his meteoric rise in WWE, he talks about Randy Orton, uh, John Cena, and Vince McMahon, and he also tells me what his favorite munchie snack is. So be sure to listen to that. Also be sure to remember that getting over is... We are all about the five. Please drop those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That is it for today. We will see you on Thursday for Vintage Chris Benini. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>